I'm Akash Pandey, and you are listening to South Asians Love Rap. Stories from people who look like me, set to the music that moves them. This is the first episode I've recorded since Election Day, when, as many listeners will know, we elected the first South Asian American vice president in the history of the United States, Kamala Harris. That's a big deal. And um, even though, you know, I, I, I struggled with her wishy-washiness when she was running for president, when I saw that image of her giving the speech, accepting the post, uh, that was that was powerful. You know, the, the funny thing, though, is, is um, hearing from my parents and their generation this line that I've been struck by, and it's just, you know, why do news anchors keep referring to her as South Asian? Can't they just say Indian American? It doesn't really matter to me. It was really more of a both Indian American and South Asian, but I get that my parents have been here longer than the term South Asian has existed, so Indian's more meaningful. It led to an interesting back and forth about how Indians can be smug and feel superior to folks from Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, etc. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking a little bit about how elections just bring out these issues with identity politics and our system of uh, checkbox representation. You know, Latinos in Florida look and vote different than Latinos in Arizona. Surprise, right? Come from different countries. And there's a lot of different political views. And the people who make up this made up group of South Asians have divergent views on someone like Kamala. Uh, and the politics of this country, depending on their stories and their personal preferences. So I think it's important, especially for this podcast, to make room for these differences and to open up space inside these lines that draw up the category South Asian for more than just Indian Americans that tend to be the dominant group in South Asian identity. My guest today, Zainab Hasnain, she's a really great example of this. But she's also an example of why this sort of Indian superiority complex, like Indian American, not South Asian, is so silly, in my opinion. Just a few days ago, I finished Ayad Akhtar's book, Homeland Elegies, came out this year. And that was the, the best damn book I've read by a South Asian American author this year, certainly, maybe ever. Uh, I have grew up in the Milwaukee suburbs to Pakistani parents, and he writes so damn beautifully about the ironies of America and his father's love for Trump, despite his insensitivity to immigrants and Muslims. And I, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but I recognized a competing mark of excellence and craft in Zainab's work as well. She works at Spotify, but DJs on the side and has these incredible mixes up where she's combining Future and SZA and Malik Berry and Bali Sagu, these eclectic, uh, otherworldly sounds that I'm so glad exist and so grateful I got to speak with her. I'm going to transition to my live intro and let her take over from there, but I want to say one last thing about the election. Here's to more solidarity and less smugness in our communities. It's no secret that a lot of white people wanted to keep this bum in office. And while the Asian American voting bloc isn't a real thing in 2020, our numbers are growing. And some projections even have Indian Americans outgrowing Chinese Americans, which is just crazy if you think about it. But what that tells you is that we're going to matter even more will be looked at potentially as a legitimate voting bloc that can bargain for rights, that in the eyes of the majority seems like a collective. And that makes the work of finding common cause and understanding the collective histories and what's possible for the future even more impactful. Anyway, I will get off my soapbox for now and get to the interview, which I um, hope you enjoy. Zainab Husnain is a global music marketing manager, hip-hop and R&B at Spotify. She's also done some freelance writing in the past and DJs using the name Z Muffin. 
I've listened to some of her mixes on Audio Mac, and they're super dope, so I'll, I'll link to them. I caught wind of her work when I saw that she owned the marketing for the Day One Club, a feature released on Spotify in August that shows you which rappers you've been listening to the longest, along with these bold 3D graphics that went viral super quick. I saw them on like every other person's Insta story. So thanks for your work on that, uh, and uh, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, and thank you so much for having me today. I'm super excited. Of course, of course.、Um, I want to start with the early days and、um, just get to know a little bit about where you grew up and how music played a role in your life early on as you were growing up. Sure. So I am a immigrant, born and raised in Pakistan, in Lahore, Pakistan. I moved to the states when I was five years old and have lived here. You know, the rest of my life in New York. I grew up in Long Island, but went back and forth to Pakistan quite a bit. So it's definitely a big part of who I am. I'm not, you know, a first generation. I am <laughs> the, I am the OG immigrant, and I'm, you know, excited to have that title when I have kids that I'd be the first generation. <laughs> so,、um, no. So I'm really, really Pakistani, but then also like a, a very much a New Yorker. And for me, music was. Not actually a huge part of my household. My parents weren't, you know, particularly musically inclined or,、um, you know, played any instruments. But they both had a really great appreciation for music. They would do these music nights at our home、uh, with like tablas and kawali style sort of classic Desi music nights, and、um, they just have a great appreciation for art and poetry and ghazal and th- that type of stuff. But、uh, the music discovery. That sort of led me to wanting to pursue a life in music. Really came on my own、mm. as like a young adult growing up in Long Island. You know, Long Island obviously has a huge music scene, and、sure. it's basically next door to New York City. And every Long Island kid dreams of going to New York City. So my, I have, I have two siblings. I have、mm. a sister and a younger brother. They're both also very much into music.、Nice. Um, my brother is a drummer. He's been playing drums since he was like five years old. And my sister, I like to call her. An A and R because she's always, you know, ten steps ahead on the on the next big artist. So the three of us used to just go to a lot of shows growing up. I played, I was classically trained in viola、uh, growing up as well. So I I was classically trained in music, and then I would just like、uh, go to shows a ton growing up. I was, you know, I'm a Daisy.、Mm-hmm. A Pakistani girl, so I was、yeah. never allowed to go to parties or like hang out with boys. So my release with my sister and my brother, we would just go to a ton of shows, and、um, you know, our first love was really like、uh, like punk music、mm. and rock music because Long Island has a really big punk scene,、mm. and then that gradually like went into hip hop and like other genres. I really do love all types of music, but that's kind of where my music、um, journey started was through learning viola, and then also actually one last thing,、yeah. I used to dance. I used to dance a lot growing up. I used to do bhangra and like kathak,、mm. the classic stuff. So I really just loved to be in any space that had to do with music. That's cool. That's cool. And like your exposure to all those genres through shows and through like your siblings.、Um, yep. How did hip hop kind of、uh, come to the forefront, or maybe it didn't? But like, how did that kind of have the significance it had?、Sure. Yeah. So, like I said, the my journey with music really started in like punk and hip hop, and I feel like there's so much sorry not hip hop, punk and and rock, and I feel like there's a lot of crossover, especially now with punk and hip hop, right?、Um, you think of artists like. Rico Nasty, or even Sheck West, or sort of the, or even like Lil Pump, kind of the ethos that they bring to these shows. It's it's a lot more punk rock、yeah. than it is classic '90s hip hop, right. right? So I felt like the communities were really similar in that they were like hardcore fans and people who really just like. Loved going to shows and lo- like there was a lot of energy at hip hop shows and and like rock shows. So、um, how I really got into it was. Through listening to like punk music and then like finding these sort of like crossover songs, like you know the early '90s were kind of famous for those crossover things, especially with like Run DMC.
that started to happen sort of around the time that I was growing up because I'm a 90s baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And really around my age when I was young, like I would find music through iTunes. Mm -hmm. iTunes was like my key discovery mode. So Tribe Called Quest was kind of like my first real foray into hip hop. Like I like once I heard the first Tribe album, I was like, whoa, what is this? This is amazing. Yeah. And um, and and I'll say the band that really like did it for me outside of uh, Tribe was NERD because mm. NERD was like rock meets hip hop, right? And Pharrell was like the god to me. Pharrell, for I sure. looked up to him. He was everything. I used to buy the Neptune's albums, like the NERD albums, and then like you know Jay Z did the Black album that yep. was sort of rock inspired. So that's how I start to, started to really, really love hip hop. And um, it all really started through my introduction in punk and, and rock. And I really started to love like the lyricism and the beats. And and also then I became like G-Unit obsessed. Mm. G-Unit was like my main, main <laughs> uh, group when I was in like middle school. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stunt one on one. Yeah. And then I, I really and then I used to wear like rock aware jackets because I was super into Jay-Z and the whole that whole bit wave. So it was like a pretty hard and fast transition. Also because in the 90s, like New York hip hop was so on the map and mm. it was so like, you couldn't miss it. You couldn't not be listening to all these artists that were coming out of New York. Right. Um, so it was kind of just a natural sort of transition from even being a New Yorker. That's awesome. Yeah, I can imagine like being close to the city. It's just like inescapable, right? Like it's it's in the, exactly. it's in the air, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Totally. I was thinking about talking about this later, but I feel like it's a good time to bring in the Arctic Monkeys because you did identify oh. like their debut album as something that meant a lot to you. And it feels like along oh, yeah. these lines where like in the mid 2000s, they came out. Uh, I mean, their, their album was a hit, but I'm curious, like what was the impact it had on you uh, at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were uh, the Arctic Monkeys were definitely one of our still are like my favorite one of my favorite bands of all time. And so I have uh, I have three cousins that I'm really close with that live in the UK. Hmm. Um, we both immigrated from Pakistan around the same time. Hmm. Um, they're on my dad's side. So their dad and family, they moved to the UK like a couple years after we moved to the US. So I would always uh, we would like spend summers back and forth with each other. They would sometimes come to New York and we go to, to Bournemouth, actually, is where they hmm. where they stayed a little bit outside of London. And I became obsessed with NME, the magazine. Um, it was kind of like the spin of the okay. UK. And I really loved their journalism. And I would like always ask my cousins to buy me enemies um, when I would like, you know, when they would come to the to the US. You can get them now anywhere. Okay. But um, I would I would learn a lot about like UK bands through that. So the Libertines were a huge, another huge, huge, huge influence on me. Um, and then I found like the Arctic Monkeys through them mm. and through just like sharing music with my with my cousins. And uh, that first album, like all of us, like all of like my sister, my my three cousins and myself, that was just like such a monumental album for us. Um, Alex Turner is such an incredible lyricist. And I think we all just resonated with his lyrics and just the sound and how raw it was. So who's that girl there? I wonder what went wrong so that she had to roam the streets. She doesn't do major credit cards, I doubt she does receipts. It's all not quite legitimate. And what a scummy man. Just give him half a chance, I bet he'll rob you if he can. can see- I'll never forget the reason why that album is also so important to me is um they did their first ever show at Hammerstein Ballroom uh-huh. in the US um when I was in high school, I think. I can't remember exactly when it was, or it was middle school. And we all went to the show, like camped out, like was there first on the line so I could be like the very front. And I remember having my first and not my only, but my first um, crowd surfing experience (laughs) at (laughs) this Arctic Monkey show. It was me and my sister. Everyone was doing it. We were like so just like hyped off the music. 
and the energy of like being at their first New York show for this album mm. tour. And we had our like matching green and red Arctic Monkeys t-shirts on and we were like moshing and <laughs> jumping into the crowd. And it was just like, wow, like, and I've literally followed that band up until this day. I, I, I the other day I just posted on my Instagram. Um, we actually snuck into an Arctic Monkey show back in like 2013 at Webster Hall. Um, and they closed out with 505, which is like one of my favorite songs by them. So like the obsession has stayed throughout the years, but that album has just had such a huge impact on how I define myself as a music fan. Like right. I, so many people think that it's just like hip hop, hip hop, hip hop, just because that's sort of how I DJ and right. you know, where I, uh, in the space that I work in, but I am such a like indie rock nerd. Yeah. That's dope. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that album, it's so funny. Like as, as I hear you describing going to that show, it feels like the energy of that album is so much about teenagers that are like going to shows and like living the nightlife totally. and like waking up the Teenage. next day with, yeah, with like a hangover <laughs> and like uh, Ritz to Rubble, like all those kind of like descriptions. Yes. And so like, do you feel like that um, connects and that's part of the reason why that album is so big for you? Oh yeah, definitely. And I, that's such a good point that you bring up actually about this like teen angst and uh, rebelling and being rebellious. Mm. I feel like that's so much of what punk and hip hop is about. Sure. Um, both of them as, as genres is just like going against the status quo, uh, not conforming with people and just, uh, creating a space that's safe for you, um, where you feel accepted. And mm. I feel like it's such a rallying cry for minorities and people who are sort of, you know, just under the radar and don't feel like they have a space to fit in. I feel like the hardcore community, the punk community and hip hop communities are all so welcoming and accepting of sort of the fringe people on the fringes of society, if you will. And I felt like as a young Pakistani girl, um, you know, especially like I, I had strict parents, um, I would say less strict than others, but definitely on like the key points, you can't hang out with boys, you yeah. can't date, you can't like go out <laughs> to parties that was still very much enforced. So um, music was such a release and it felt like my rebellion and the the music and the lyrics like resonated so much with me that like, um, I really felt like I was being spoken to directly. And that's hard to find in all types of, you know, in every genre of music. And I really felt like that that specific Arctic Monkeys album really resonated with me. Is there like one specific song that stands out or that that really did it for you? Let's see. I'm like trying to remember off the top of my head, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Okay. There's so many good ones in here. Oh, wow. Ugh. If I have to pick one, geez, they're so, oh God, because like there's, there's certain, like every song has its own unique meaning to me. Mm. I feel like like Marty bum is like a song I listen to when I'm in a specific mood. Mm. Ritz to rubble is when I'm in a specific mood. Um, I bet you look good on the dance floor. Classic fake mm. tales of San Francisco. Um, I would say the view from the afternoon is probably my favorite song on there. I don't know if you remember the music video for yeah. that song. It's like, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's like a black and white video. Yeah. Um, and the and the drummer Matt Helder, if, again, I hope I'm not butchering that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> is just like drumming in this, uh, like I think it's like a basketball court. Oh. And I I used to actually play drums growing up too. Before like my brother and I used to play together, and you know he took it and made it his own thing now and I used to just like mess around so I love the drums on that song so I was like particularly obsessed with that song um for the drummers and a lot of bands in general like like Block Party I was obsessed with their drummer um We Are Scientists had an incredible drummer so I used to just like listen to drums a lot and I've always been drawn to drums so yeah that one would probably be my favorite 
That's awesome. <laughs> in terms of um, DJing, I mentioned it, that you have these mixes up, um, but I, I mean, the majority of the work you've done is probably in shows that are just captured in people's imaginations yes. and memories. And so I'm curious, like, how did that become part of your life? Uh, how did you gravitate towards sure. DJing and what's that path been like for you? Yeah, so uh, I feel like DJs are people who have like two qualities, in my opinion, at least good DJs mm -hmm. uh, are one people who are just music lovers and aren't obsessed with one specific genre. They are lovers of all different types of music and love to tell stories through that music. I feel like DJing is a form of storytelling and I, I consider myself a storyteller. So I think a good DJ is a good storyteller and they, they take from the music that's resonated in their lives and, mm -hmm. and put forward a story through that. So I was always interested in telling um, stories through music and that's, and I, and I wasn't sure how to do that because um, you know, viola is one thing and playing classical music is one thing, but that to me wasn't my preferred type of expression mm -hmm. of the types of music that I like. Cause it's obviously just classical music. Sure. So DJing felt like the right, format for me to express all the different types of music that I like and tell stories about it. And the second thing I feel like that makes a good DJ is somebody who naturally loves to dance. Even if you're not a good dancer, you just feel, you feel music, like you yeah. feel the beat, you feel the rhythm. And that's, I, I'll never forget when I first started DJing, I had this mentor, his name is JP Solis, look him up, he's amazing. Um, he worked at the school called Dubswat, which is where I went to learn how to DJ. And he um, always told me uh, when I was first playing, he's like, a good DJ always moves with the music. So like they're just moving with the beat, moving with the beat. And that makes it even easier for you when you're cueing in a song to you know, cue that song in on beat because you're just moving with the music and you feel it as you go. And that is my number one pro tip That's as cool. a DJ is to just like move with the music. If you feel it, it's, it's a lot more natural. Um, so yeah, I just felt like DJing was the right format for me to tell stories. And I used to just envy DJs when I would see them on stage and, and, and just envy the way they would control a room mm -hmm. and make people feel all different types of emotions just through music and how they like would bring in a song or mix it with another or, you know, take a bar from one song and put it over another beat and like uh, play with different um, phrases from different songs. I found that so amazing. And I was just like, I need to do this. I really want to try. Uh, I want to tell my stories through this. Must be tough now with this quarantine dragging on to not have the opportunity <laughs> as much as that uh, cramped your style a little bit. Oh, yeah. I, I have so much respect for everyone who has been consistently live streaming right, or right. doing yeah. yeah radio shows like I did one or two when quarantine first started and it was fun don't get me wrong but it's <laughs> definitely not my preferred style it's like it kind of takes away 90% of the experience which is being in a room full of people and feeding off of their energy and seeing their reactions and you know, maybe that song didn't land or maybe it did. I, I, I would never know over a live stream. Right. So like I, I miss it so, so much. I, I dearly miss just like that connection and that feedback loop of energy between people, uh, which is just not the same over a live stream. Well, I want to talk about another album from Across the Pond, uh, which, you know, <laughs> was definitely influenced by American music, um, but, you know, holds dear in your heart that's frank by amy winehouse i'm curious like what what about yeah what about that album is oh is so moving God. for you it's pretty it's funny that you point out it's from across the pond i i feel like people across the pond and across the border generally make better music like canadians <laughs> and brits are just so good at making um yeah. music maybe not the best hip-hop artists Actually, that's arguable. They have Drake. Canada has Drake. Yeah. Um, but Skepta. yeah, in general, yeah. I exactly. Skepta. There's so many. Justin Bieber. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So there's so many people from the UK in general. I feel like I'm so influenced by my, my family yeah. uh, that lives there. But Amy is so special to me hmm. in so many ways. And I'm and it is just so many people. Uh, first of all, she's a Virgo. So hmm. and I'm a Virgo hmm. and I'm you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit too obsessed with horoscopes, but <laughs> I just, um, I, I admired, I so admired who she was as an artist. Uh, and you know, she obviously left the world so young mm -hmm. and put out these just two incredible, incredible bodies of work at such a young age. 
So then I bribed you downstairs with a Marlboro red. Now I feel so small discovering you knew How much more torture would you have put me through You probably saw me laughing at all your jokes Or how I did not mind when you stole all my smokes, yeah you know, it's just poetry. She's 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 an absolute poet and she's a virtuoso at what she does. Like her voice is just unmatched and her emotion is unmatched and her lyricism and the way she is just so part of every song that she has put out. Mm -hmm. You know, so often pop stars and people, um, you know, with such superstar status don't really write their music or even compose their music or aren't even involved in the production process. And Amy was such a true, true artist. And you felt that through every song she wrote through the way she sang it, through the way she performed it. Uh, and, you know, getting a glimpse into her, her process with Mark Ronson mm -hmm. and uh, Salam Remy and all these po folks that she collaborated with. It was just so beautiful the way they spoke about her. When I met Amy Winehouse, she was on some, I'm a jazz singer. So basically the entire song, Tears Drying Our Own, was written as a down-tempo song. And then I'd come across Ain't No Mountain High Enough stems at one point where they had the instrumental. This could actually fit to that song. And she was like, I don't know about that, buddy. I knew I'd do that. I knew that I She was still trying to, you know, get it to the simple because she wrote it as a, all I would ever sing in the you. And I'm like, she had to get to a whole shimmy. She was like, how? And this is all in a couple of days of her writing. and I like resonate with that mentality because I it's not it's not good to be a perfectionist <laughs> just to be clear but that's so how Virgos are mm. and Mark Ronson another Virgo mm. two Virgos making a banger album so I just like I love the lyricism of it it was so beautiful so many different themes covered in that as a young woman mm -hmm. and uh even with Back to Black I just I mean it's so hard to pick between those two but I have to go with her seminal album sure. just because that's what introduced me to Amy yeah uh, and yeah Frank is just so special to me the producers I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned them because I wanted to bring that up to yeah. um the hip-hop connection with Salam Remy you know and oh and, yeah uh, even, even the sound, Mark. even Mark, yeah, even Mark. But I feel mm -hmm. like the the opening song is produced by Salam Remy, and it like has that yeah. uh, that that R and B like rap kind of totally. beat. Later in the album, there's like an interpolation of uh, Nas's. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, what's the song? I, I know exactly. Made what you you're look. About. Of Nas's made you yeah, look. Yeah, made you look. You know, yeah. and like that's. I, I was listening to Salam Remy talk about how like he knew as soon as he made Made You Look that someone would make an R and B beat out of it. So he's like, I wanted to, oh, wow. I wanted to beat that person to it. You know, Amy made me a better producer. She was just a real sharp girl who had a knack for saying really smart stuff. And I had a knack for pushing her to write what she really was thinking. Was like even when we were doing In My Bed, I was like, I'm not letting you use the Nas beat unless you write a song that I like without the Nas beat. And she just figured out what chords would work over the Nas beat. And then I was like, all right, now the beat's out of here. You ain't getting that beat turned back on unless I like this song. There are very few people who are better at expressing what they feel than through music than Amy Winehouse. And that is through all those points that you described from the production to 
um, you know, just like t taking a Nas beat that so is such a like unique Nas song in its own, right? And then for for Amy, it's not like she's even you can't even say like oh she's on a Nas beat. It's it's her own song. Like she turned it into her own thing and wrote on that beat in a very unique way that only she could. That it, they're two separate songs, even though they have the same beat. You don't even. Yeah. sort of compare the two yeah uh and i don't think any other r&b artists or very few are capable of of doing that she was so humble about it too which i i loved about her she wasn't someone who was uh egotistical or you know self-obsessed of course she had a really difficult life with her, her you know drug addiction and that awful relationship she was in so i just like respected that she was a true artist and she wasn't afraid to be who she was and you know she she went through a lot of public scrutiny but she still delivered timeless timeless albums and i'm just grateful that i i got to experience a little a little bit of her life that i did while she was alive yeah you you mentioned her as a writer um that's something that i was listening to salam remy talk about how he's like I only work with artists that can write, like Nas, mm. uh, the Fugees, mm -hmm. Amy Winehouse. And uh, he's like, that's something that I check for because the taste I have and the taste that they have, there should be a merge, you know, there should be a sure. sense that we kind of uh, can can rise to each other's level, but also be on a higher plane, you know? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is it about her pen game and like her lyrics that appeal to you on that album? Yeah, I, I think she's, she's funny right like she has a really unique sense of humor and it's cutting in making jokes about herself and making jokes about just who she is in a relationship and how she ends up being uh you know just like a foolish girl um hopelessly in love and and she's not afraid to poke fun of herself and also at like other people mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and she does it in such a like uh cheeky way mm -hmm. and i love the way that she she writes her stories and like you really feel like you're almost reading a book right um i i think of like a song like fuck me pumps yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you walk in the bar and you're dressed like a star rocking your f me pumps and the man notice you with your gucci back crew can't tell who he's looking to Cause you all look the same Everyone knows your name And that's your whole claim to fame Never miss a night Cause your dream in life Is to be a footballer's wife You don't like players That's what you say It is it is such a brilliant song. She's she's basically it's a diss track mm -hmm. to like drunk <laughs> British girls, <laughs> but she does it so like classily. Like it's a it's a it's a bop. It's a great song. And then Love Is Blind. Like I mean, wow, what mm -hmm. what a po like a, a literal poem to just express like the heartbreak that people go through. I didn't let him hold my hand. I just like don't feel there are many other artists who can explain the pain of love and you know being a woman in love and um making mistakes and just being or you know cheating and infidelity and all these different themes that she covers uh and she does it so flawlessly and beautifully and i, I don't i don't know any other artists who can do that yeah yeah well one of them is another one you picked lauren hill who his oh, album yeah. miseducation <laughs> has a little bit of the vibe that you're describing uh, and i want to talk about For that sure. in a minute but sticking on that i think Fuck me pumps. It's so funny. Like it took me a couple of times to also just like laugh to it, you know, because it's also yeah. <laughs> her singing and it's beautiful. And so you're not like thinking about that. But she's like girls who are past their prime still trying to go out and try to get get yeah. get, get it. Like it's just hilarious. Um, but also it's she so has like the there is no greater love, like the kind of song you oh. could 
play at a wedding and, and you know like you've got like pain totally. but also just like these odes to love there is no greater love than what i feel for you even um take the box it's such a like beautiful breakup song and i feel like she's also very empowering even though she knows that she has moments of weakness and um you know like sort of gives in to her relationship or her toxic ways she also has moments of strength and i think that's so reflective of the struggle that women go through mm -hmm. in relationships where you're feeling or even you know everyone goes through just these like ups and downs where you feel really confident but then you also have moments where you feel really low and that's why I feel like it's such a holistic body of work because it touches on all those complex emotions that you get um you know as a young woman in love yeah yeah and the honesty can be like especially as a man like listening to stronger than me feeling reflecting on relationships where i've just been like shit i have been kind of soft <laughs> and like it's <laughs> it's kind of painful to hear this but like i'm so glad you're expressing uh, it because it has that you know what i mean and so totally. i feel like that's some of the best art where it like forces you to sit and think and be like this hurts but it's also like amazing and beautiful outro before I moved to Lauren Hill I want to talk about it because like it almost mm. feels like 10 vignettes like it's like a, it's like going to watch a yeah. play and like she, she <laughs> like, I, I to be honest I wasn't very familiar with this album so I was like listening to it and the, sure. the last song I listened to a couple times because it's so great how it cuts in and out of her uh bringing you sure. different sounds and snippets and I'm curious if that outro is like meaningful to you or if, if that's something that struck you as you've heard it yeah, I, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head how it's like so many different moments and experiences happening in one. And that's what I feel like is laced throughout the whole album. And that outro is like the perfect end note hmm. to even how it starts. Like, you should be stronger than me. Hmm. What a beautiful way to open open up an album. And the way that she wraps it up is also like a perfect like cherry on top chef's kiss. She <laughs> just killed it. Yeah. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's talk about the miseducation of Lauren Hill. What, why that yeah. album and, and what's so significant about it? Um, miseducation came to me at a time when I was in a college relationship. And uh, it was like a long time ago, like mm -hmm. 10 something years ago. And it was definitely not the healthiest relationship. And I feel like that album, especially, um, what's that one song? I'm, I'm blanking on it right now x factor that song on that album I'll, I'll never forget i remember like i was actually in pakistan i was going through you know this just being in this not healthy relationship and i remember listening to that song x factor over and over and over and over and over again and crying hysterically every time i heard it because it was like whoa that she describes the dynamic of like back and forth and the, the two people hurting each other and still you know um not knowing how to show they love each other yeah. i felt like that was so exactly what my relationship was at that time and it spoke to me so much um and I, oh my god just like how lauren was also someone who could rap flawlessly yeah. and sing flawlessly right like she could go from that to like doo-wop and then instantly uplift you you give it up so easy you ain't even fooling him if you did it then you talking out your neck saying you're a christian a muslim sleeping with the gin now that was the sin that did jezebel and who you gonna tell when the repercussions spin showing off your ass because you're thinking it's a trend girlfriend let me break it down for you again you know 
the way she made a lot of like Islamic references, like Saratul Mustaqeen, um, and like just like keeping your deen and all these things. I felt like as a young Muslim girl, I definitely, definitely love that. And I was like, wow, I love to hear this like Muslim representation on on the album and just the way that she talked about being a woman, like so much was sexualized at that time, like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and like just all these other pop stars that were hypersexualized. And I, I obviously did not resonate with that. I was never allowed to dress that way, nor did I even really want to. That wasn't who I was. And I felt like Lauren Hill spoke to like the girls that um, don't want to be like that and who are more, um, you know, just proud of being uh, wholesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure, know? Sure. I don't know what the correct word is, but I felt like Lauren um, talked about just being more of a stand-up woman and like a, a classy woman, and I really resonated with that throughout her throughout her um, her album. And I don't, and then also just like it brought introduced me to D'Angelo. It introduced me to um, so many other artists that I I further fell in love with, but. It's just one of those albums that you can listen to again straight through and there's every track has something that you can you can relate to and I can't wait to relate to um Zion because that song is also fucking beautiful and I obviously don't have any kids but just the way she describes like her life changing and the way I've had friends explain to me how their life just turns upside down when they have children like that song is just like so powerful even when you don't have a kid you can feel what she's saying and how this child changed her life now the joy of my world is in I just love, love, love the way Lauren Hill um, is is so versatile in the way that she expresses herself in rapping and singing and and just the the range of stuff that she covers. That I feel like you could listen to it as a young girl and as like a grown ass woman. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, as you were saying, like the the images of women in pop and hip hop R and B, it was almost like you had to be sexualized to be big, and like totally. she was such a counter narrative to that um exactly i actually had to do some research on this album for a mini series that came out on spotify uh dissect oh, yeah. dissect it came out like five four three you three worked years on ago. that i did yeah yeah i did i did some you know cole i do yeah he's yeah in sacramento I, do you know him well yeah, yeah yeah i worked on the dissect campaign oh, oh cool. like a while ago but yeah he's great that's yeah. so cool i didn't know you worked on that that's amazing i did i worked on two seasons like he just had a a season on Tyler and like Den kind of yep. started doing some other work. Uh, so I haven't worked with, with him since. But uh, when that mm-hmm. miniseries came out, I was doing a bunch of reading and like research, background research, uh, working with him on that. And it was just fascinating to find out about how toxic her relationship with Wyclef was at the time. Ooh, and it like, was awful. Yeah. And, and it's almost like what you're mentioning with Amy. I hadn't made the connection, but now that we're talking, it kind of makes sense. Like, the way that she brings out um, the emotions from that relationship and the toxicity, but also is able to like deliver this beautiful song to Zion. Mm. And also, you know, the nothing even matters like about just love, everlasting love. Like the other, like similar to the Amy album where it's like, there's a song you can play at a wedding and like then, but there's also these like uh, anthems and there's just so much, the versatility on this album is really incredible um but there was a lot of pain and and i i remember a quote from her where she was like i i couldn't i didn't have the perspective or the distance i needed to create this album until i left the fujis and like it took wow i didn't know that she said that yeah it like took you know removing herself and just like sitting and thinking about what she had been through she was like 23 22 when she came out with this you know and so it's just like she was so young incredible to think about what um these young artists can produce and the depth of emotion they can conjure up that's so true that's such a great point like how young these two women were when Mm -hmm. they put out these extremely extremely deep and just uh insightful 
albums that you know you really need to like sit with yourself and really understand yourself to put these things out and to have that level of self-discovery and self-awareness at such a young age is so incredible in its own Mm -hmm. and uh and to give that gift back to people and to young girls is is so special to me last thing i want to kind of ask you about uh, i was looking at some of the work you did uh like freelance journalism on producers Mm -hmm. and i i know that as like a dj even when we were talking about amy you brought up the names of the producers and you'd talked to Cardo. Uh, you'd done some like yes. different work with production. Uh, who are some of your like top producers when it comes to hip hop? Like which names come to the top of your list? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. Um, I'm happy that you brought up that series because that series for me was a way for me to like find a way in to talk to some of my favorite producers mm. at the time. So that was like early 2015, 2016. I can't remember when that was, but um yeah, that was uh, my way to not only get to know these producers and their process better, but then like put together a mix to showcase just like the breadth of their work. Mm-hmm. And Cardo was someone I was on pretty early just because of his mixtapes that he would put out just with beats. Mm-hmm. And I loved those tapes and I was just like obsessed with his um, like he just had a very unique sound that I, I didn't find in a lot of hip hop artists. And then he was working with like a lot of, and how he's working with like Baby Keem, who's one of my favorite artists too. Obviously now he's just like hit after hit after hit and different accolades, but um, I, I also met him at A3C and he was such a nice guy and like did a production class and like, uh, I still, he's still one of, like, is one of my favorite hip hop producers. Cardo on the beat. Cardo on the beat. <laughs> uh, I don't love him. I don't chase him. I duck him. Smoke something. I just think he has a unique um, view on what hip hop, like, what a hip hop beat is. He's not mm. like the standard trap producer. Baby. Where did these niggas be at when they say they're doing all this and all that? Tired of beefing you bums. You can't even pay me enough to react. Waking up in the crib, but sometimes I don't even know where I'm at. Please don't pay that nigga songs in this party, I can't even listen to that. Anytime that I run into somebody, it must be a victory lap. Hey, Shotty come sit on my lap. And I also think TM88 is someone who was like one of the earliest first, like obviously Zaytoven, Zaytoven, you gotta For give sure. Zaytoven his credit. But um, TM definitely like really opened me up to Atlanta hip hop in a right. way that a lot of other producers um, didn't. I'm a stone-cold gorillas in my DNA. I be trapping, getting that cake is in my DNA. So I would say um, Mark Ronson is number one for me. Mark Ronson is the best producer in the whole goddamn world. <laughs> well, sometimes I go out by myself and I look across the water. Pharrell is absolutely up there. Salam Remy is absolutely up there. Um, Ninth Wonder is mm. obviously up there. Um, Cardo is up there. Who else is? There's That's so a good list. That's a good list. I like that. <laughs> I have a, I have a hard time conjuring up my top five just because there's so much. And if I go there's so many. era to era, how do you compare like a DJ premiere to a Metro Boomin? Like exactly, uh, their sounds so are so different, but I love them both. You know, um, totally. I have to say Diplo too. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't be here and not like pay homage to what a Diplo stan I was and how ubiquitous I feel like he is as a producer too. And then also DJ Quick, I feel like is extremely slept on for his just sheer discography that he has put out. But I, I'm such a producer DJ. Like I love to even organize my crates by like, Oh, Pharrell beats or premier beats or whatever it is. But it's so hard. You're right. Like every day, I love Metro too. Metro is a fucking beast. Like Savage Mode Two has been on repeat for me. It's He's so been dope. a legend. Yeah. Metro's a young legend for sure. I also want to just ask about like another piece you did, the history of the 808. Right. So you were talking yes. like that's like stuff that you've been interested and fascinated by, and you find those connections sure. from like the work you do at Spotify to some of the mm-hmm. freelance work uh, and your own DJ. Uh, work is that like kind of how how all those mesh yeah it was it was definitely it took me a long time to find 
a, pl- a way to sort of connect all these different interests I had. The, the the main criticism my mom always has of me, she's like, you have no focus. You like too many things. Like, just pick a focus, like, you know, AKA be a doctor, you know? <laughs> um, but <laughs> I was like, you know, now in this age of like the multi-hyphenate, I'm proud to be someone who doesn't have quote unquote focus. And I like many things because, you know, we're very blessed to live in a time where you can actually monetize off of your interests, whatever those are, whether you like to write or um, produce or, you know, DJ, you can find almost find a way, even, even if you don't want to, but you can find a way to monetize the things that you like to do. But for me, um, like writing has always been a huge part of my life. I've written in diaries since I was like 11 years old. I went to NYU as a journalism major mm-hmm. and ended up shifting, but I used to write for the school paper there and like a music uh, magazine that was there. And I used to write in high school for, for uh, local newspapers and stuff. So I was, I've always been interested in journalism and wanting to be a journalist. Um, even more on like the political side, I used to, I was a poli sci major. So that's kind of how I even got more into wanting to write. Um, so it's important for me uh, to express myself, not only through DJing, um, but through, through writing, I feel like is such an important outlet for me. And I learned so much through, through the process of like, I'm sure like just the way you and I are having this conversation, right. The the opportunity to interview someone and then to go back and process what you talked about and Mm -hmm. write about it and write it out. And then the, you know, the nitty gritty of researching and fact checking and all that, like just, I love to learn. And I, I feel like writing about things that you love and are passionate about is such a great way to learn about them sure. and to express that interest to other people. So um, writing will always, always, always be a part of me, you know, whether if I publish it or don't, I, I feel like there's just so many intersectionalities between storytelling through words, through, you know, a creative campaign, through, uh, a mix. So I just, I just like to call myself a storyteller and however, whatever the medium is, I'm, I'm happy to do it. That's cool. Well, I, you know, look forward to seeing what's next for you and keeping track of all the stuff you're putting out. This was awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. This was such a great interview. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to Zainab for her generosity and her willingness to share her experience. I will be linking to her mixes uh, in the show notes. I also really want to encourage everyone here to please, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you just uh, rate us and give us a five-star rating, that would be much, much appreciated. If you have an extra five minutes, drop some thoughts. Let let us know what you're enjoying about the show. Uh, it'll take us a long way and help to raise our profile here. South Asians Love Rap is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Akash Pandey. Theme music by Dust Collector. Cover art by Aaron Zonka. Thanks a bunch, everybody. See you soon.